Welcome, book lovers, as we go back in history to good old jolly England, to a time when electricity didn't exist, but magic sure did. That's right, we're dissecting Christopher Priest, The Prestige, which became a Christopher Nolan movie. Stay tuned as we dissect it on Adapted. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now... Circle Online. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Excited to be here. And if you've been staying tuned to our show, we've kind of come circle, even though this is our third episode, because we opened up with the invention of Hugo Cabaret, which was a, a movie about film and magic. And today we come back to magic yet again yes. with the prestige. We have the lovely Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Yes, I enjoyed this. I'm excited. Yes, indeed. It's uh, one of our favorite movies, The Prestige, by Christopher Nolan, made in 2006. My name is Phil Svitek, and we're here to talk about all of it. Um, Very excited to talk about it. Um, For those of you kind of just joining us for the very first time, we break down the book and then kind of go into the comparisons, the differences of the movie and why it got turned into a movie. Now, our last book was The Jungle Book, which had been adapted many, many times. This one has only been adapted once. The book came out in 1995 uh, by Christopher Priest, uh, a British author. Mm -hmm. So uh, why don't we uh, sort of kick things off? Um, You had never read the book. I've never read the book. Um, I was familiar with the the title of... from Christopher Nolan's film, The The Prestige, which I loved. It's actually one of my favorite films. I, I see The Prestige film probably at least once a year. Um, it's it's so good. And so I was re- just, like, loving that film in and of itself. I naturally had the, the want and need to read this book, and since you recommended it, I was like, all right, let's do it. And then it was... I was very surprised. As, and usually, you know, the movies are different, usually like a lot different from the books but i felt like this was they they kept the story and the main like elements of it but a lot of things change and i think maybe for the better in the film compared to the book this this is one of those rare cases where i can probably say the 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 movie is better than the book however i what i appreciate about the book is that it fills in certain gaps that they're not necessarily evident in the movie, nor they need to be, but it but it kind of gives oh a context. Yes. Um, now, it, it, let me tell you my experience. I read the book after the movie came out. I was walking through the library, and if you're watching on video, you'll see this. If if you're listening, it's okay too. I did one of those where I'm just walking by, and then I noticed something, and then my head stops as my mo- bottom body keeps going, and I'm like, <laughs> "What is this?" And then I pick it up. And I'm like, "It's the Prestige." What? This is a book. Now, the reason I say this is because it's one of the more interesting parts. Um, normally, you have a big tie-in book movie deal. Right. Uh, this didn't happen with this. And so, in, at least in the United States, most people didn't know that it was a book. No. I mean, I didn't realize until after the fact that this was from a book. And Christopher Priest, the actual author, he's more bigger in the UK. And he's not really relevant, or I shouldn't say relevant, but like well-known in in America. So naturally, we wouldn't really know who Christopher Priest is and his works. So I'm glad that the film actually did a good job of introducing the works of Priest. Yeah. I just, um, it's interesting because the movie doesn't even make 
to my knowledge, you know, normally you'll see like based on the book or inspired by the book. This mm-hmm. prestige never really had that fully to my knowledge. I know it's probably somewhere in there, but I never took too much deeper into it. But let's take a quicker step back. Um, Christopher Priest, uh, born, as you mentioned, England um, in 1943. So been around a long time at this point. Um, still still alive, still, still doing well. Um, and... And about 1968, went from uh, being just a, f- went to being a full time writer, mm-hmm. and kind of things took off from there, um, and whatnot. And uh, you know, a lot of works. Uh, to be honest, I'd never heard of a lot of these, but as you mentioned, known in England. Yeah. And you tell me if I'm wrong on this, but by the sound of it, he's not quite like a Philip K. Dick to, for like British people, but somewhere. In that sense, like, because he's somewhat scientific, a part of the prestige is gothic a little bit, so there's that element to it. Um, but you tell me if, if if that resonated with you, at least with this novel. What? Well, I, I think Priest, um, the, the good thing about what the film did, you know, again, introduce Priest to the American uh, population. But we, I like, to my knowledge, we haven't really seen any other Priest uh, Christopher Priest's books adapted into more films for um, for us to enjoy. So I I actually don't really under uh, know like the scale and sco- scope of how his popularity is is in the UK compared to America. But that's not to say that he um, he hasn't done work or hasn't worked you know consistently. He's actually r- written a lot of stories. He's written eleven novels, a bunch of short stories. He's actually worked on graphic design. Uh, graphic novels so like he he's been a consistent writing act uh writer for for years decades well when it comes to england i think neil gaiman is the guy that pops up most into mind but you know to sort of perhaps this puts in perspective doctor who asked him to write for doctor who (laughs) (laughs) so that says something you know doctor who's the, the the pinnacle of British TV. It's been going on for more than fifty years, right. and so to be asked to write episodes for it, or even just a episode, um, that that says a lot about your credibility, your status, and so forth. So the fact that they asked him, you know, they they clearly revere him on a very high level. Oh yes, yeah, so, uh, definitely for sure. And then I think that's a testament to his writing because he has well-published books that are out there, and people have read them, and they're really highly rated. Yeah. Well, uh, just to, you know, again, unfortunately not familiar to us, but, um, you know, worth definitely checking out. Um, I'm certainly going to sometime in the future. Can't promise right away. But Mm -hmm. um, the inverted world, the Islanders, the affirmation, the adjacent, the glamour, the separation, uh, a Dream of Wessex, The Extremes, The Space Machine. Those are some of his um, his books. He likes the the prestige, the 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 in all of his titles, except he, for A Dream of Wessex. Except for A Dream of Wessex, but it it shows that he has a certain writing style and how he titles his books. He has a certain pattern, which I find most most authors do. So good for him. Um. So, you know, uh, for him. This book, uh, very sort of interesting. I mean, you know, when when you dive into it, um, it's got the it's it's got the historical aspects of of Britain, 
um, and whatnot. But it's it's really interestingly told in terms of its structure and and he was very meticulous and just kind of wanted to do magic and and, and tell that story because it was an artifice that that he was you know could play with in terms of a book. Yeah. And you can clearly say that this book is more character-driven and, and story-driven in that sense. Not, yes, the uh, Britain is like a, a backdrop for for the story, but it's not the driving point. It's these characters and what they're going through and how they treat each other throughout the whole film. And the, and the book um, is really what drives the story forward. Indeed. So let's let's um, dive right into the story. We're, we're going to talk first about the book specifically. Um, you know, one of the interesting parts that took me um, was the fact that it starts in modern day. Yeah. And you know, we're 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 diving right into this now because I've seen the movie first. I kind of initially, and by the way, um, if I didn't give this warning, we're spoiler filled. We assume you've read this. You've at least seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope that you read the book, ideally both. But um, but you know, obviously both will be spoiled either way. Spoiler That's alert. right. Spoiler um, alert. And by the way, we have. Uh, you can download our notes in the uh, description box. It has a link to our notes, so you can get that as well. But um, you know, uh, starts in modern day with a journalist who uh, has these twin sensations. Yes. You know, there's always the sets of twins always, you know, say that they have they can always sense everybody or like their their own other half's, you know, feelings and emotions. When one instance occurs, you know, like the other one feels it in some way, um, whether it be emotionally or physically. That that twin connection that a lot of people have, or or triplets, you know, what whatever sense. Um, so it was like very established early on in in the book that this guy always had that feeling of a twin, and like, what is it like to find that other mm-hmm. person out there that might answer all your questions? Yeah, and that so in that sense, it became what I would call a journalistic approach. You know, there's a sense of mystery which both the movie and the book have, but whereas. Um, you know, I would term that the movie had a, sort of a criminal approach to it because, you know, we need to save a person's life in a sense. This was more of, okay, well, the past is the past, but how does it affect the, today? And, um, you know, I, I say journalistic because he's literally sent off as a journalist to cover the story. Mm-hmm. And what I was found interesting reading and be established the character – and and this is a character that's not in the film, and we'll get to the different comparisons. But this is a character um, uh, that establishes the the sense that okay, this is what's the whole theme of the book is. But I was already confused because he was introducing us to two different names to the same person, mm-hmm. even though we're not introduced to the same person in the book. So I'm like trying to learn who this guy is. Is he important? Is he the main protagonist that you would? essentially assume that because he's the first person you're reading, he might be the protagonist of the whole story. Yeah, we meet um, very early on. We meet a lot of people. Um, you know, this this the book itself is just riddled with a family feud, a feud that at this point has spanned multiple generations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're kind of playing catch up of like, okay, you're not you're not given the starting point until much later on. So you're playing catch up of how did we get here and who's who? Yes. Um, and by the way, just the fact that Angier 
has a different, you know, he has two names because he's Lord, Lord, you know, and it's Lord Caldwell. Yeah, it's and it's similar in the in the uh, movie as well, um, which sort of ties that backstory of how he got money and how they got started. Uh, but it, but essentially, they end up at the Caldwell estate, being taken care of by essentially the granddaughter Kate. And we that's sort of our sort of jumping off point into the past into okay, we've given you what's going on today. Let's go back in history. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to get you know a, a type of investigative type of narrative. It's like, oh, is this a mystery now compared to a thriller and and just like a one narrative that's that lays the story and we can follow it linearly. But this one. With the our first the first guy that we get introduced to in the book is Andrew Andrew Wesley, um, but his the his writing wasn't first person it was third person, so no it, it was um, it was first person oh, sorry. it was first person okay. everything in the book and that's the interesting part right so everything's set first person so you don't know um, you know who you can really trust because are they really telling the truth okay, yeah. now. You know, unlike later on when it's journal entries and it's actually, quote, supposed to be part of a book, the first part is just him retelling it or whatever in his mind type of thing versus later on, like, we're, we're actually reading pages of a diary, pages of a journal and mm-hmm. so forth, um, which was cool at times. But then other times, you know, not, luckily they didn't spend too much time on it, but like. I remember later on there was like parts of Angier talking about his dietary needs and so forth. Right, and and there were other times where when they do the the background and the history of where Angier came in the the whole Caldo family and stuff. There, there was a whole like few pages of them actually describing what the house looked like. And I'm like, okay, I understand he comes from a very wealthy establishment. Yeah. Well, you know, to that sense, um, it was partly that, but it was also, you know, because essentially you already got the description of the house earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, what this was more, it became a device of, okay, what's his outlook on his life? Because it, while it was a big house, the fact that, like, he was only given us, you know, he had a brother to contend with, and that's why he was essentially cast away. Um, that, 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 that gave you the viewpoint of, like, Yes, they're rich, but um, his lifestyle is going to be okay, but it's, it's going to be short-lived as it eventually later is. Um, and it sort of led him to the lifestyle that it did. Now, um, initially, you know, I, I, I was intrigued by the, uh, the juxtaposition of all of it because we go from the, you know, modern-day Borden, if you will, meaning Andrew because he, mm-hmm. um, he was um, – uh, what, what do you call it? He was orphaned. Yes, he was an orphan. Um, and then we Adopted. go, and then we go to Borden, um, Alfred Borden from the past, and then finally we get to Angier. We go to Kate, Kate Angier, and then we get to Rupert Angier. Yeah, so we go modern day Borden. Yeah, so Borden, Borden, Angier, Angier, Angier. Angier. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's for the the book itself is four different narratives. Um, and so it's interesting, like, how everybody views each other and how they're looking at life at that point in time while we're reading. And it's interesting to, to learn who's who based off of someone else's perspective. What do you, what do you think the overall f- feeling, I guess, by, like, what, what's the takeaway by doing it in this way? Is it supposed to be the consequences of a feud? Or what, what's the... 
you know, what's what's the gravitas? I think it's more so the the establishment of the feud kind of reflects the how it was actually told in the book. The Bordens were the first people to talk about the feud, essentially, in the whole storyline. The Bordens are the first... Alfred Borden was the first person to start the feud, mm -hmm. and he instigated it throughout all these years. We saw the, the, uh, the actions he did and then the effects that it had on Angier, and it makes sense that Angier is the second person to talk about it in second and third person to talk about it in, or fourth person numbers, third and fourth person in the book to talk about the the effects of the actions of what Borden's did. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, for me, what was interesting and what doesn't happen in the movie, but you kind of get a sense of it in, in just a different way, um, is that they sort of realize, like, you know, actually, I, I take it back. The movie sort of did a, a much more stricter version of this, um, where the consequences of why they got in a feud in the book, they start to become trivial and questioned of, like, is this worth really doing? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and they even question, like, how, how did we end up in this feud? Right. You know, they, they they don't even necessarily, at certain points, they forget and they don't even know. Um, so I, I found that to be interesting because in the movie... Um, the feud got started um, because of the death of Angier's wife. Julia. Which is something, you know, in, in terms of being something unforgivable, yeah, I could put that on a pedestal of not being really forgivable. Yeah, and that's actually a good action to start in a legitimate feud between each other because that actually has a visceral reaction. Um, that makes sense in a filmic aspect because in the book it was more so it was just like playing tricks on each other and trying to one-up each other and then in the film it's more like besting each other but with vengeance on top of it yeah well in the book you know it, it sort of became and what, what wasn't in the movie it's not fully evident although it, it does make shed some light into it but but the idea of this magician's circle and the sac sacredness of it. Um, now, the movie never really could have done this because, well, because it doesn't use this device. But in the book, uh, you know, Angier doesn't start off as a magician or illusionist. He starts off as uh, a spiritist, mm -hmm. uh, someone who goes into homes and, you know, talks to uh, loved lost ones. Yeah, a mentalist and a seance spiritist, which I, I enjoy because, like, it shows that everyone has to start somewhere and, like, develop those skills. And it, it showed like, he so he learned those tricks and then actually evolved into illusions to get, you know, actually paid for and have a following, build out an audience that eventually became a show and a, and a performance in that way. And, you know, it's because we're introduced to it from Borden's side, I thought that was a very clever trick because when you get to Angier's side of it, it's he didn't really want to do this. Just life didn't really hand him too much to work with. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of had to do this. Yeah. I like I like that perspective from from Angier. It shows that he was just doing whatever job it takes that gained him money for work. It was, it was his way of living. And, you know, it was his earlier jobs that, yeah, you might not be proud of, but it led you to where, you know, you go eventually. Yeah. So so obviously that was a quite a deviation from the book because yeah, – or from the movie because in the book, um, 
you know, Angie's wife doesn't really die. Um, she just has a pregnancy scare. But even then, well, uh, you know, everything kind of works out. And it's not, it's not the end of the world like in the movie. The movie makes a very <laughs> drastic, um, nope, that's it type of thing. And now the feud's off. Um, yeah, because in, in the book it shows that, yes, there was a pregnancy scare and and uh, a miscarriage. But eventually Angier was able to have children and have a happy family. And so this feud that keeps continuing, even though he has, like, basically everything he wanted, or, like, what, um, it, it's just, and now in the book it's just become, it's just a feud that's just going on too long. Why are they still going at each other? Where in the movie there's a distinct... Like, he took something away from me that I can never have again. Yeah. And and also, too, it was interesting. Um, like, Angier was also his own worst sort of enemy because he cheats on his wife and creates this whole separate life. Um, now, granted, I don't know if I appreciate it or not um, just because, you know, I'm not that stage in my life where I'm certainly not married, so I, I don't know. But... Uh, but where he, his wife did take him back. Now, granted, with certain stipulations, which I appreciate on her part. Understandably so. Um, where she's like, I'm making every overseas tour from now on, because that's how um, Angier met. <laughs> his new assistant. Yeah. Um, I, I like that, and, and it's interesting because it shows that, yes, Angier like, gained a lot of things, but lost a lot of things on his own, compared to the film makes it look like he lost a lot of things because of Borden, not because mm-hmm. of his own actions. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, in terms of that, um, as you're reading it, because you know the movie, did it, um, did you know the various secrets? Did you know the various turns? Obviously, it's still very different, but, but overall, you kind of knew um, what things were being hinted at. Uh, yes, because watching the film several times and other, you know, magicians over the years, there were actually some uh, performances and tricks that I already knew the the results of it and how you actually pull it off. So while reading it in the book, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when they showed this in the movie or, you know, mm-hmm. vice versa. So those, the earlier um, setups to those, the smaller acts were still fun to read, though, from, like, the perspective of... This is a new, new up and coming performer learning the tricks and the ways of his, you know, uh, act and performance. Yeah, and to that point, one of the things I don't know. Th- this might have been just for me that I actually because in the movie, you know, it's it's hard for me in the movie. I don't know who whose side I'm fully on, especially by the end. Um, but in this, in the book version, at least. I kind of sided at times a lot more with Angier only because he had that sentiment of like he was working extremely hard and he just, you know, until he was told how a magic trick worked, he didn't get it. But he wanted so bad to learn and he had the discipline, you know, the fact that he would write every single day and he would like keep keep his accounting. Um, he took meticulous notes. You know, he put in the effort. He was just missing the creativity, and that that was the line in the in the book that sort of um, you know I don't, I don't know if you paid attention to it, but the fact that like hey in a different life they would have been the best of friends because one would have been dif- dif- disciplined, and the other one would have been creative. Yeah, um, they w- had they not had this feud, they could have been really good allies instead of rivals. I I agree with you. I actually sided more with Angier in the book, mostly because 
throughout the whole, all the years of the feud, you always hear from Angier's perspective that Borden did this. Borden did another act. He thwarted this performance, X, Y, and Z. There was like a few pages where all the entries were just Borden act up and, act and like ruined my trick again. For years, it was always Borden attacked my performance. And, and it shows that Borden was the instigator. He was the one who was purposefully um, messing up Angier when Angier was just doing work. But he, And so he was on the receiving end of all of this. And, and Angier would actually actively say, well, like, I will not, you know, engage. I will not engage this. I will not, like, I'll let it go. So it shows that Borden was, like, purposefully actually still repeatedly purposely ruining uh angier well even through through um borden's writing right in the book um here's a p word for you he seemed pretentious mm-hmm. <laughs> like he always talked about the art of um of uh you know magic and so forth in in such a way like that is just weird Where, whereas in the movie christian bale you know you believed his dedication but i would say he had respect not a pretentiousness Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I agree, and we'll we'll get into the the actors' performances as well too. But also in in the in the movie, I, I'm also torn with who do you really side with, because in the movie, Borden again is the first one who actually instigates it and, and starts the feud. So it makes sense that because he started, I just naturally don't like it because he started it well in the movie the you know what i liked is they kind of did a switch where the consequence and by the way it's tough to really judge but sorry you know and i I think the movie makes the consequence a little bit harder harsher um but the way in which it happens you know he truly doesn't know like did he tie the right knot or not he really doesn't know he thinks he did Mm -hmm. tie the the right knot that she can slip out of. Um, whereas in the book, you know, he makes a very conscious decision to do something, um, and, but, you know, the consequences are dire, but, you know, they're, I don't know. Again, it's tough to, like, make that judgment to be, like, which one's worse. Right. But I think they flipped it in both. They they did, and also, like, in the book, it wasn't really the assistant who was really put in harm's way to the point where she almost died. It was actually Angier. Like, mm-hmm. he was the one going through the having his hands tied and, like, oh, I almost died because he tied the wrong knot. It, so it was more so a personal thing because it was a, it was a personal physical attack on him. Where I feel in the movie, you, you had that and you put that off onto the assistant and but that affects him emotionally but also in the film where you say the switches is where angier actually crosses that moral line of okay you've gone too far now you're affecting my family now you're affecting like borden's family his daughter his life in that sense like their their feud started off professionally but then it got personal that it did that it did um any other um book things you want to talk about before we get into sort of the movie development and and um the various similarities and changes um i think that's it because we we see you know the the developments of each and i i like the the book element for the the writing styles they are drastically different so you can hear a different voice 
per person. Borden's <laughs> style was more as a like a novel in and of itself. Because we know he is publishing his own book. So it was written in a book novel form. Whereas Angier's perspective was all like diary entries. Yeah. And that was, a, you know, the movie obviously took that element because there's various journal entries that both Borden and Angier read. Um, mm-hmm. of each other and, and that's the thing of now the, the the difference in the movie is that there's like this keyword that without the keyword you don't you know the book is useless and so there's no evidence of that in the book um which is, when i first read the book i was like oh what's the key what's the key right and a little bit tough to pull off um but uh before we get into the similarities and the changes um a couple quick backstory so sam mendez who had just made american beauty um, which is a beautiful, yes, pun intended, <laughs> film. Yes. Uh, you know, he was he was going out for this, and um, he was he was ready to. An offer was on the table, essentially. Uh, however, it, and by the way, that's when like the Academy, you, you know, he was getting Academy Award nominations for the movie, um, and you know, Nolan's camp, uh, Emma Thompson who's not only his wife, but also a producing partner on every single movie, you know, she essentially called up and said, hey, hold everything. We got a guy coming for you, you know, with an offer, you know. So a guy, like, essentially shows up on a scooter um, is like, hey, this is uh, this is what we got. And, uh, you know, showed him an, an, a showed him, um, following, which is Nolan's first movie, and said, hey, you know, with the right studio system, this guy could make the movie, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you believe it. And so uh, Priest took took a shot on him instead of uh, Mendez, and, uh, you know, from there it goes. Yeah, and I think that's great. It's showing because Nolan was still fairly earlier in his well-known career now. It shows that they took a chance on an up-and-coming visual artist and, and a great storytelling artist, and I think it, t- it turned out great. <laughs> so good, good for them. Absolutely. Um, and, in fact, Christopher Priest agrees which we'll talk about certainly a little bit later um towards the end um so let's talk about the various similarities and we can debate good or bad but um uh cutter's role in the movie cutter being angie's assistant much much more expanded in the movie yes and michael kane a very well known highly accomplished actor so i mean if you have him you have to build up his character for just who he is as an actor um i like the uh, i like that they built up cutter because even Cutter played a very integral role in this whole film, taking the four narratives of the book and really putting it into one narrative of Cutter's in the movie. It made it easier um, and a, like somewhat of an unbiased type of storytelling compared to what you, we would get in the book, which is very biased. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Michael Caine always has that great delivery just in terms of being being very rational, but without you know, sort of hitting you over the head with exposition. Because mm-hmm. um, he was the one who, who did try to... Because he knew both of them. He employed both of them, which is something different from the book as well. So he knew them both when they were, quote, kids, up and coming. And then he saw that happen, um, and then it just kind of took off from there. And I liked Cutter because he, he sounded like the voice of reason during certain moments. And also... In the beginning of the film, like he's the one who that they really established that Borden and and Angera are colleagues compared to just rivals. And Cutter would actually like send them both on missions to try to figure out the same trick, you know. Mm-hmm. So like he actually paired them together, and and you know and had them learn together on their own. 
and that, that was another part of um, that that actually happened both in the movie and in the book is the Chinese um, yeah. water fishbowl trick. I like that. <laughs> I did too. Um, you know, and, and when you sort of talk about it, the reason why, like, I think the, the prestige of the movie is sort of more Borden's story and he walks away the hero, if you will, is because Angier just ends up, um, you know, like his punishment is enough, knowing the truth of what he had to do every single day. And then Cutter, you know, brings back the daughter to, um, you know, twin Borden. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, because he sort of ended up on the side of of, um, Borden, you kind of like, oh, well, Borden's the hero. Versus Hugh Jackman's character, Angier, he's left mm-hmm. on his knees and he's told, like, hey, I told you the story of the drowning sailor. Uh, yeah, I lied to you. Yeah. And, and, again, there were moments where, like, you sided with Borden in the film, but then you sided with Angier in the film. And and I think the movie does a great job of making you torn of who who's the better person. Mm-hmm. Um, both used a three magical act structure although slightly different and they they you know in the movie they really used it as a device you know the movie opens up with you know three parts of a magic trick we're about to tell you and then boom we use that at the end as well um whereas the book while it talked about it it didn't use it to that effect no no because we got the whole narrative the first time with Borden's, and then we go back to Angier, and then we get the whole narrative over again, knowing what already happened. So, and I think that there's your two stories told in different ways, but linearly, whereas the movie, I think, did a great job in non-linear storytelling, just one way. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if, if you know, obviously that's Nolan's forte of, of playing with time, and so it, it was just a great device that he recognized within the book and was like, oh, here's what we can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and when you kind of think about it, a, a movie is, in essence, a three-act structure, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So he's essentially just playing with that. Yeah, and I think also editing helps with that, too, because in the book, you know, you, you can always go back to the same moment that you read before but see it differently, and that's what editing can also do. You can see the same scene but a different angle. Yeah. And uh, or in, in the extension of a scene, for example, when we saw Olivia when she first goes to Borden and says, "Hey, I'm going to be your new assistant and whatnot," and then it just cuts. But then later at the end of the film, you see what she actually says up until yeah. like after the moment it cuts. So you, you saw extensions of the same scene. Yeah, and you know the nice part, while sort of vastly different um, from book to movie, the book sort of established that tone already. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I appreciate that. Speaking of um, speaking of assistants, uh, you know they they changed it. Whose idea it was to go undercover in terms of Olivia? Uh, certainly, the love story and the love triangle that develops mm-hmm. that remained the same. Yes, that that did. But also, it shows that it the feud became more serious when you get other people involved based on just trying to get knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, shows that he was so serious that he needed undercover work to get answers. So it just shows like how serious he was about finding each other's secrets that he got other people involved. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that. And when you talk about sort of the fact that we got rid of the whole present timeline, um, you know, I was very intrigued by the two women in the movie, Olivia and um, 
Sarah. And Sarah, because, you know, Sarah in her own right has has that great line of, like, uh, you don't love me, not today. You know, when you tell it to me, I want it to mean something. And it's, it becomes such a powerful line, even though, you know, for the most part, it gets somewhat buried in other greatness. But it just always stood out to me, um, you know, to your point, how affected, you know, the people in their lives were. I know. And I felt so bad for Sarah um, more in the movie because she was a bigger role in the movie um, because they're like watching it over again, like knowing what happens and who's who. But like I I just feel more sad for Sarah because she's still living throughout living this life because her 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 husband's not telling her the truth and then when she says like oh you uh today you say you love me and you mean it and then like other days you don't or like you you feel bad because you know what's happening to her you know she's with a certain person and she's caught up in to it where she ultimately kills herself like she she couldn't handle it anymore yeah so it's certainly uh certainly a heavier role in the movie because in the book you know we don't in the book, everything's written in diary form, and so while there's dialogue, the dialogue is very seldom, and, and at the end of the day, it's from their perspective, so how much can you really fully believe it? Um, so I appreciate, obviously, the interactions in the movie with, with that as well. Right. Um, also, sorry, sorry, one more thing about Sarah, because also in the film with Sarah's death, it just shows like how far Borden has actually gotten himself trapped into this lie and this feud that he has against Angier. That it causes death of his own family. So. Well, the interesting part—I don't even know if you can attribute that to Angier, because that was that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. To protect the secret, um, which the book—you know—when you really talk about, like, the movie obviously protects the secret, but when you really talk about, like, you want to talk about heavy-handedness, <laughs> and this is part of the reason why I talk about the pretentiousness side of it. I get it. Every magician has to like protect the secret, but. Basically, every journal entry from Borden was like, I got to protect the secret. It's all about the secret. You know the secret. Got to protect the secret. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I've seen the movie, I'm just kind of laughing. Like, I know the secret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but how, how, like, the lanes he went to and how it affected other people of how much he protected that secret. You know? Yeah. Well, that's why the line in the movie, uh, simple, may, er, simple maybe, easy, easy not. not. Yeah. Um, so, so absolutely that, that was evident in the movie. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I want to sort of talk about, um, we'll talk about the actual prestige and by that, I mean, Angier's, um, uh, trick, but, uh, Tesla played by the late David Bowie, uh, fantastic performance. And, you know, where in the book, Angier and Tesla sort of had this like quiet, relationship it wasn't like fantastic they weren't the best of friends but it was a better relationship whereas tesla in this in the movie played very well he was kind of standoffish a little bit and also in i for some reason i like i've seen the movie i can't tell you how many times but i never really thought about it because the book made me think tesla went through his own feud with edison literally mm-hmm. at that time the whole war of currents and stuff so reading and i was like yeah it would make actual sense that tesla would be on board with angier because he himself can personalize and and like relate to a feud so if he can help someone else during a similar type of situation yeah he's going to be on board 
Um, you know, I did like that. I, I thought um, we'll, we'll talk about David Bowie's performance, but but I thought that played really well. Um, and Ali in the book, he's he's sort of made to be a literal ally, if you will, mm-hmm. pun intended. Um, everyone says pun unintended. Well, pun, pun. f and intended. <laughs> okay, um, you know, we're we're in, in the movie. You get the sense of camaraderie, but but I did appreciate the fact that like in the book, like you know, they corresponded after the fact, and everything was like all hunky dory, and was like, hey, hope hope it's of use. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I I really liked Ali and and Tesla because even Tesla again, his character was more built in the movie, still played a pivotal role emotionally for Angier, and he he actually was a good voice of reason as well, saying like destroy this machine, it will do nothing good for you, and again it shows the lengths that Angier will go to going against actual um, advice to still keep this feud going and still keep his performance going. Um, so it just shows you like how serious Angier was. It, it, that's a good point. I, I agree. Um, so let, let's talk about that because, you know, when it comes to the book and the movie, two completely different endings. Therefore, you know, the ending is really what gives it meaning, mm-hmm. right? Um, doesn't matter. Book, movie, short story, whatever. Um, and so that's why I kind of asked you, like, what what, what was your takeaway from this? Because, you know, Angier sort of left, and he's realizing the consequences of his actions. Whereas in the book, because we're in present day, what sort of well, first off, summarize what the hell actually happens because it's it's to me in a sense it's like comical for the whole Angier. Correct. Uh, apparatus. Okay, I'll I'll try to s- summarize it in the best, easy, simplistic form. Okay, so he has his uh, in a flash. Angier has his in a flash performance, which is like Tesla's apparatus makes it look really gorgeous and all this electricity. He walks in into the apparatus during the performance, and it essentially creates a complete copy of Angier that can be transported into a different location of the room. But mm-hmm. essentially, it makes a copy, and the original person, the original prestige, what they call it, is still in the apparatus. So mm-hmm. there's now two... So after the act is done, there are two copies of Angier in the world. and But because there's two, you, have, you can only have one. You have to kill one of them. So, and it shows that Angier kept doing this performance over and over and over again. There's always copies of him every single night. He always has to kill himself every single night. So there's only one Angier out in the world. Um, so that's the book. Or like That's essentially the, the movie version, too. But the book, uh, there's a moment where Borden interrupts one of the performances, and it only copies like half of essentially half of angier so it creates a spirit and a body it creates a spirit in the body and this is where i was like okay is this now supernatural <laughs> while reading the book but i, I like that the book had a different um explanation of a pic- copy because the movie just shows like it's just a copy it's just a replicate yes it's a clone, of the same person yeah it's a clone but in the book it shows that this copy is completely different because he's only in the non-corporeal more spirit type um, form people can see him, but he's not really living. Living, he's just like the delineation of Angier. He's, but the original Angier, the 
what they call the prestige, is now dying because he's kind of split in half. His his health isn't there. He's degrading because he's essentially split in half. Yeah. Um, so the book, at the end, Angier, the non-corporeal form, wants to transport himself back into the original form of Angier because the original form of Angier just died from health complications. Yeah, so he, he, he feels like it's a, it's a nice union. Um, and so when we talked about um, the twin of present-day Borden, well, the reason we felt like he had a twin was because uh, through this feud, he had gotten duplicated. Um, now, the interesting part that, that, like, in the book, what I appreciated was this meticulous nature that they that they talked about of oh I got to figure out which theaters have electricity which theaters don't because mm-hmm. so, I got to make the apparatus work and 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 they really talked about the the literal science of it all and so I appreciate that um very very much um and where I was going this I forget oh while you think of that I liked how the book actually went into the physical effects of what it did on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, during the copy, because for Borden, he just has a twin. There's just two people of the same, essentially, same DNA that look alike out in the world. That's not a new thing. There's so many twins and triplets and quadruplets, whatever, out in the world. That's not a new thing. They are two completely full human beings, Where and that was, you know, their whole trick. But in the book, when they split in half, when Angier splits in half, there's two. they're two completely different things. They have the same memories, and and whatnot but like the the spirit it has certain qualities and characteristics of angier that the original one lost so it's essentially the same person split in half in two different things but you have to put them back together to make them whole yeah and it was interesting how in the movie they did actually meet yeah you know and a lot of people sort of knew about the secret of um of angier um, which was that that certainly um, mesmerized it, and the fact that uh, the spirit version like kept going around, and like the fact that he did try to kill and scare Borden, um, you know, which one are you? <laughs> yeah, um, I actually thought that was pretty comical. Although I did feel bad because I was like, oh, that's the real person you're just terrorizing right now, and and then I felt bad even more when literally four days later that Borden died. I'm like, oh, crap, he did something. Um, but I, it, it shows that, yes, Angier has gone through this process over and over again, but to the point that he's done with the act, he has told people about it, he's already essentially at that place where he's moved on and he can put it in his past. And, yeah, he let his family know. He let the, what was it, the butler or whoever lets the, the spirit Angier back in. Like, he allowed people to know that past now. It's it's no longer a secret. But um, I thought it was a, a nice interaction between the two. Yeah. And that that's what kind of became tricky with the book is that, like, what was the full reveal? The reveal was that, um, you know, the modern-day Borden, the reason he had a twin was because he got duplicated. That became, like, the trick. Mm-hmm. Whereas in in the movie, the trick became, like, oh, Borden was a twin. Um, which, you know, uh, when it comes to the book, like, it, it would have been hard to, like, replicate this because he would give it away of, like, the book makes a very big point to say, like, no, he's not a twin. There's that whole journalist that sends Angier off to be like, no, he's not a twin. I did research into it. Mm-hmm. And, like, every, all the records were altered, which I appreciate because it gave a nice backstory of, like, well, 
don't people know that he had a twin? You know, so the fact that he altered records of everything and whatnot, um, I appreciated that there was a level and effort given to that. Right. And also, I, I think the movie did a great job of explaining Tesla's apparatus because it shows that with all the, the tests before Angier even got into the machine, was that it was actually creating duplicates of hats, of cats, you know, that rhymes. Um, but it was du- it was actually, hat. like, duplicating things. So the audience, like, could understand something was happening with this machine, but not to the full extent once Angier stepped in. You're like, oh, it's creating a duplicate of him as well. So, mm-hmm. like, what happens to the original copy or what happens to the duplicate copy? Um, and I think that was the bigger reveal. Indeed. Um, so let's let's sort of shift gears and talk about the portrayal of, of each of the characters. Um, who do you think – why don't we start with a simple question. Who do you think was most like their book form? I would say Borden. Um, I think he was very straightforward. Um, and I think the movie did a great job of showing that uh, a more humanistic element of Borden – because in the book, it just shows he's an up-and-coming person who was always following Angier's acts and trying to learn from him, purposely trying to, um, you know, sabotage his performances just so he can better his, his career and create a name for himself, that he's a better illusionist and magician in that way. Um, and But also the movie shows that, yeah, he had some good performances, but he, he didn't really have the talent of of Angier that he's the so, showmanship. Yeah, the showmanship, the talent. Um, like he had ideas but he didn't have the actual act of it. And it sh- just shows that like he's always admired Angier from afar. Mm-hmm. But he showed it in a very negative way. Yeah. Um, for me, believe it or not, uh, I thought Andy Circus, who played Ali, um, I thought he just did so well with it. He he uh, very rarely does Andy Circus actually show his face in movies as a normal character. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and I thought he just did so well with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that. I thought I thought he did a good good job. Uh, obviously, they all did, but in terms of like pure, just like from the translation of like what Allie was in the book to even though slightly different in the movie, and had that same spirit, and it's like exactly how I envisioned him. Ah, yeah. So true. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. So uh, let's uh, let's break down a couple. Of, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, when you talk about Olivia, from the, you know, while different, they had the um, in the book, she's uh, meticulous. I'll mm-hmm. say, and Scarlett Johansson has that meticulousness as well. And so I thought she portrayed it really well. I think she did great, and I think it, it was good. That they established like a, a love relationship too, because I think that was also in the book that she her her relationship with Borden was very secret and hidden. She had to live in a house, you know, to and keep away from society in in some aspect. But I think she she was great, and also she played a pivotal role between both of these guys, and um, she could hold her own. And she she was smart too because she can figure out other people's secrets that they couldn't on their own. Yeah. Indeed. Um, the other woman, Rebecca Hall, who, who played Sarah, um, I thought, you know, again, I, I can't – I praised her a little bit earlier, um, but she really ran with this role. She was in command and not in a, like, uh, bitchy sort of way. Like, mm-hmm. just just 
being an actual boss ass woman. <laughs> yeah, I really liked her, and I think Rebecca Hall is a, a fantastic actress. Um, I, I loved her, and I s- felt so bad for her, and I empathized with her a bit in in the film because she was just trying to be that loving wife to do everything she can for her husband. Um, but he was the one being, and Al Borden was the one withholding things from her, and it just, it literally ate her up, and she just couldn't handle it anymore. From a humanistic woman aspect, I just fell for her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any other uh, sort of minor characters? I thought the, the daughter in the movie did a fantastic job because we had to believe her, and, and I thought she did a wonderful job. Yeah. I, I, li- I liked the little girl because, and then she started with the film and she ended with the film and I think that was like the through line that thread that kept Borden going throughout this like that element of a family mm-hmm. alright well um, so those are the various characters um, before we head out um, I want to talk like speaking of feuds not that this is like really a feud but in the Hollywood Reporter um, when they, they, they interviewed Christopher Priest talking about Nolan um, because of his latest film Dunkirk and he said that like that Christopher Priest didn't love Nolan's more recent work. It's boring and pretentious, shallow and badly written, and embarrassing. Um, he's only like Memento and The Prestige. So uh, it, interesting to kind of get that from from Priest. Yeah, when he adapted your story that got Oscar nominations, um, I think that that shines. You know, like that reflects a bad light on Priest himself. I mean, he's a good writer. But, I, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's, it really depends on, like, what type of elements of Christopher Nolan's style you like. Memento, and it's very nonlinear, told backwards, but the storyline still somehow progressed forward. Um, I think this one had different narratives that still progressed forward. I mean, I think we know Nolan is great at storytelling in different time spaces. Um, but I, I think that's unfortunate, and I hope people understand, like, the, like Nolan is a brilliant creative mind. Yeah, and you know it's just unfortunate. I, I think uh, it's actually funny because he makes reference, like you know that that hit even Priest's sons love the Avengers and Iron Man because they're fun. When you try to insert realism, it doesn't seem as good. So uh, you know, just different tastes. I actually, obviously, I love uh, Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. I don't love the new DC movies, but that's not Nolan's work, one hundred percent. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. As we wrap it up, we of course have to tell you what book we're doing next. Although we sort of did last time, The Revenant. Yes. Um, Revenant. It's it's Leonardo DiCaprio's Oscar-winning film with uh, Inaritu. So uh, we're going to talk about the book. Um, so we're going to talk all things Hugh Glass next month. So catch up, read the book, and we'll certainly announce what the next book is after that. Um, it's going to be Marissa's choice because she has yet to pick. Uh, yeah. Well, she, she, I picked the the latest too. Anyway, um, at Serafini TV is where you can find Marissa. That's right. Um, at Book Circle on is our social media, and check uh, me and Marissa out at uh, uh, Anatomy of a Movie on PopcornTalk.com. And uh, check out philsvitek.com. Thank you guys for checking us out. Please let us know your thoughts, your opinions. Have you read the book? Are you interested now to read the book? Um, if you have read them, what were the differences? What did you like? What did you, what did you, did you not like? All those things. So please let us know. Um, we love interacting with you guys. We'll see you next time on another Adapted. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. 
To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.